All right, good morning again. I'm glad you're still here. Joshua's going to read uh, Psalm 119 for us, right? In the entirety? Absolutely. 114. So, I'm sorry, just 14. 14. <laughs> what page are we on, buddy? 453. 453. So, page 453 in the Bibles in front of you. We'll give them a second there. I'm going to move this stuff over, and then you'll be good to go. All right, Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds, and there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Good job, buddy. Here we go. Nice. I'm going to park this right here so I don't... Anyway, thanks. Joshua did a good job. You can tell he's a teacher. Calm, reading, scripture. If I let him, he'd probably just teach and preach. Anyway, thanks for doing that. So, um, welcome. If you don't know who we are, we are Grace Life Bible Church. We experience God's grace and extend it. I was thinking about that this last week a little more than I usually do, just because I, I started to realize that extending part is, is hard. You know, that there's, there's seasons, avenues, people, situations where it's like, that's just not automatic. And so, but with the power of the Spirit, the encouragement of each other, we succeed at, at extending God's grace that we experience. Knowing God and His Word, experiencing grace and forgiveness, growing in healthy relationships, impacting those near, far, and, and everywhere else. And so, um, I don't know if you were at the church picnic a while ago, but at one end of the table, there was this, this basket of apples. And there was a sign someone put there that said, just take one, God is watching. And down at the dessert end of the table, there was a basket of cookies, and a little kid told his friend, take as many as you want because God's watching the apples. <laughs> now, that's obviously a story, a joke. Anyway, but the point is, look, look at that, the, the behavior. It's like, well, if God is watching the apples, then I can do whatever I want with the cookies. And so many people live that way. It's like, well, God isn't watching, or God is watching over there, but he's not watching here. So I'm free to do whatever I want to do. That's kind of, that's our metaphor for today, where we're going. Um, but the question is, is God here, and is God near? And if he is, does that matter with how we live? And um, these are the key questions. You're like, wait a minute, those come at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I put them at the beginning this time. What do you think about when you think about God? That is the most important thing about you and about me. What do you think about when you think about God? Because that drives everything else. And then what does our culture think about when it thinks about God? And how has that impacted how I think about God? That's pretty enveloped, deep, heady stuff, right? Is there a difference between what you think when you think about God and what our culture thinks, hopefully, yes. Can you identify that? And, and that's, that's kind of where we're going today, okay? So, here's the title. Are you an atheist? And you'd be like, no, I'm, I'm from America. I'm not an atheist. We used to live in Texas, and um, 
Everyone down there is like, they, they just think they're a Christian because they're in the South, right? It's, yeah, that's all right. And so it's like this whole other thing. It's like, well, there's a different way to understand that. So, so Psalm 14 is asking, is God here? Is God near? So our question, because we would look at that, are you an atheist? And we'd quickly say, no, I'm not. The real question is, are, are you a functional atheist? And Psalm 14 is all about being a functional atheist. And so I'll, I'll get in here and unpack this, okay? Um, so some people don't think God is here or that God is near for a variety of reasons. It could be suffering. If God was here, if God was near, I wouldn't have suffered. My mom wouldn't have suffered, whatever. Maybe, maybe it's sin. If God was here, if God was near, then that person wouldn't have been able to do that sin. Or maybe, well, I've sinned and God doesn't do anything. So we have, we have arguments, reasons why we might go down the path of thinking maybe God isn't here. Maybe he doesn't learn. He doesn't uh, understand. He doesn't see all that kind of stuff. So let's go to Psalm 14 and uh, zip through that because this, this raises the questions. Just to give you a heads up, today is a little different. I'm going to preach an abbreviated sermon, and then we're going to invite an expert on atheism up, and we're going to do a Q&A. So when that happens, don't be like, ready? Okay, good. So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if any understand, any who seek God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There's none who do good, not even one. And obviously that comes up in Romans. But So what do you, what do you call someone who, is, uh, who doesn't believe in God? Yeah, atheist. Now you know how that works, right? Uh, the A is uh, a neg negation, like amoral. You know, that person is amoral. They, they are without morals. So theist means God. And so an atheist is like, don't believe in God. Now, don't confuse that with agnostic. The agnostic just simply says, you know, God may or may not be, but you just can't know him. So did you hear about the agnostic who also had dyslexic, dys dyslexia? He didn't think there was a dog. <laughs> okay, explain that to the quiet people and we'll, we'll be okay. Anyway. So this is about atheism, but is this when it says the fool has said in his heart, there's no God, is that the kind of atheism you and I run into today where these people are really hard lined, they're, they're, God doesn't exist? No, because in this culture, the ancient Near East, the gods, the plurality of the gods, they were, a, they were responsible for everything. They had a God of beer. They had a God of childbirth. They even had a God of thresholds, your door, so that when you would come in and go out, the gods would protect you. And remember, I said this a long time ago, uh, if you had a stroke of good luck or something good happened to you, the cultural response would be, well, you've acquired the favor of a God. You don't know which one, but something is going well. So my point is, in this culture, they attribute everything to the gods. Nobody is thinking there is a complete void of all deity. There is no God. That's not what they're saying. They are talking about a functional atheist that says God is not here. He is not near. He doesn't hear. He doesn't listen. He doesn't pay attention. So you can just do whatever you want. That's the fool that this person, David, has in mind. Okay. So here's another example of, uh, of a psalm that captures that idea. Oh, Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. So that, 
That's what he's talking about, all right? So this psalm is a warning about functional atheism because you could read the psalm and go, oh, well, that doesn't apply to me because I think there's a God somewhere. But it can apply to us if we choose to live as though God does not see us. He's not near to us. And we're, we think we have a ticket to do whatever we want. So that is what this is about. So um, I, I found this quote about functional atheists. And we're going to walk you through it here. It's pretty interesting. Functional atheists are dangerous people. An even more dangerous species of human being may be the person who affirms God, but who allows no impact of that affirmation of the actual reality of living or else attempts to use faith affirmations for ungodly ends. The course of religious history is replete with fools who have said there is no God, and with even greater fools who have said, Lord, Lord, but have refused to do the will of God. So you, you, you get this sense that this is, a, this is a problem, all right? So again, this, he's not saying, he's not making an apologetic statement about, oh, there's this group of people, the philosophers, and they've concluded that God doesn't exist. He's not saying that. He's saying God doesn't see. He doesn't care. He's disconnected. Now, here's the, here's the thing you, you need to get, we need to understand. In this culture, that was the common way people thought about the gods. They're distant, they're angry, and they always demand something that we don't have. And if something bad happened to you, the cultural response would be, well, you have offended a God, and you better, you better make the appropriate sacrifice. You have no idea what that is, but you, you better figure it out, because one of the millions of gods, literally thousands, uh, you've offended, and, and you have to figure out the sacrifice that, that you need to do. So you would be in a constant state of fear and panic from the gods, because you don't know. And so they largely just said, well, they're remote, they're distant, they're not, uh, they're not involved in my life. They don't see, they don't govern anything, so I'm just gonna do what I wanna do. And so that is the person we're talking about, okay? So the, the fool is a functional atheist who thinks like his culture thinks about God. What does our culture think about God? And how much of our thoughts about God are like our culture's thoughts. Well, that's amazing. We're going to dig into that here with, our, with our, our guest person in a bit. So again, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it will steer you towards him in adoration, joy, and, and joyful obedience, or you'll shut the door to him and be like, I'm doing whatever I want because he's not answering my prayer or whatever excuse we have, okay? So... Um, Fill in the blank. Maybe not this season of your life, but there's probably a season in the past. There will be in the future for all of us. If God exists, then this wouldn't have happened. That should have happened. And there's a lot of pain in, in our lives. And I, just Don and I, as we get older and older, we're just observing that it's just weird that the, the web of relationships just keeps getting broader, more complex, and more... Um, we're more invested, and so sin and damage and, and ill hurts more. You know, when I was 18, I'm like, oh, it's great. You know, I don't, but, but, you know, when you're older, you're like, wait a minute. This can blow up in a hurry, and there's pain here, there's pain. And so, so yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so if God exists, what, what would you put in that? What, maybe not that you do, but just theoretically, like what, what could you I was like, well, if God exists, then, then I, I would have got accepted to that job or, or that school. Or my cat wouldn't have died. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. So um, 
trivial to the significant. Maybe it's suffering and, and um, all kinds of things. But here's another question. Is your view of God 100% accurate? Yeah, see, I threw in 100%. So you're like, well, no. But if I said accurate, you'd be like, well, I think, I think so. Okay. Well, again, is it, is it accurate according to the Bible or according to our culture? Or do we just make stuff up in between? And that's where we want to dig in today. So this functional atheist is the person who has decided a willful decision that God is not going to have any place in my life. I have removed him, maybe because if God exists, my, my parents wouldn't have been hypocrites. Because my parents were hypocrites, shut the door, he doesn't exist. Okay, that's very common in our culture, or whatever else you want to put in there. So, the will shapes the character, the, the character away from God now becomes corrupt, and a corrupt character finds company with other wicked people, and it just further compounds that isolation from a life with God, sets us on a direction, all right? So, basically, the, the, the functional atheist, some of, them, some of them are just straight up, like, honest. It's like, well, if I believe in God, then I can't do one, two, three. And I really want to do one, two, three. So I'm going to say, I don't believe in God. No, I'm going to do one, two, three. And it's just that straight up. I mean, I think many people are there, but there's only a few people that really are honest enough to just say, yeah, that's the deal. Here's a guy that said that, okay? This is an, this is an amazing quote. Aldous Huxley. I wanted to believe the Darwinian idea. I chose to believe it, not because I think there was enormous evidence for it, nor because I believe it had the full authority to give interpretation to my origins, but I chose to believe it because it delivered me from trying to find meaning and freed me to my own erotic passions. That is incredible, isn't it? <laughs> it's just like, wow, A plus for being honest. So, um, so here's the question. Is God watching just the apples or is God watching the apples and the cookies? The fool says he's only watching the apples, so you can do whatever you want with dessert. The wise person is saying he's watching both the cookies and the apples. We're to receive them with joy and keep in mind that he is the good God who loves and protects us. Okay? This would be a good time to have a potluck after church with apples and cookies, but I didn't plan that far ahead. So is that you? Do, do you think in terms of God watching you? Do you think in terms of of proximity with God. Like when I used to teach college, sometimes a person would be like doodling or whatever. And, and you know, you don't always call them out or throw erasers, but you know, you, I, I could walk up and just kind of keep teaching and blah, 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 Old Testament survey. And then I'd stand right next to the, you know, and what does the student do? Oh, you know, they, they, proximity can be a powerful manipulative force. In that case, it usually invokes fear. Go, oh, the teacher's here. Well, what about the nearness and proximity of God? What does that mean to us? Does that invoke fear for you? Or have you met Jesus and now all your sins are gone and forgiven and the proximity of God is now a blessed presence and you're like, oh, here's the God who forgives me based on his son's blood through my belief in him. That's a completely different response. So think in terms of how you view God, okay? And do you think God is here or near? Um, Psalm goes on and talks about you know, that, that, that phrase that, that Romans, Paul copies in Romans. Um, are there any who understand they're corrupt? Not one does good, not even one. Romans says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not one. So 
Uh, and he goes on and on. But um, the last verse, he says, Oh, that salvation would come from Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and be glad. And so, I don't know if you know, I, I'm a big geography nut when it comes to, to scripture, but I just want to tell you Mount Zion. It's not a mountain, okay? It's not like Mount Everest, all right? It's just, it's just a spot, and this is Jerusalem, the red lines, that's, that's Old Testament Jerusalem, and that are... Yeah, and then this, there's a spot out in here just outside the wall. That's Mount Zion, and that's, the, that's where he says it's used 150 times. It means um, Mount, Stronghold, the City of David, City of Zion, uh, Jerusalem, kind of all the same, okay? So just in case you were wondering, because I know you were. But here's the question. Is God here? Is God near? Listen to this verse. Am I God at hand, declares the Lord? Am I and not... A God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth? It sounds like God is here. Here's another Psalm 139. This is an amazing Psalm. I'm going to just skip through it, but you have searched me and know me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all together. He's here. He's near. You see this? Where do I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's here. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and go here or there, even there, you find me. And then you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you. You saw my unformed substance. In your books, they were written the days that were formed for me when yet there was not one of them. I managed to squeeze in my grandson. It'll be my new thing every sermon somehow. Well, <laughs> anyway, seriously, isn't that, and you look at a little baby and you're like, yeah, the Lord is here. He's near. He made that baby. He made us. So he is here. He is near. And we don't want to follow the path of the functional atheist. We can't escape his presence, but you can escape his forgiveness. Say that again. You, you can't escape his presence. He is here. He is near. But you can't escape his forgiveness if you shut the door because of some excuse about pain, suffering, or hypocrites, or whatever else. You can, you can avoid and miss his forgiveness that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. We want to make sure we don't do that. And so again, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about us. And we want to make sure we're, we're owning that straight up. So are you a functional atheist? Okay. Are you a thinking theist? We don't want to be a functional atheist. We want to be thinking theists, right? Kind of big words for today. But I think Psalm 14 is, is shouting, God is here. God is near. Don't let the plans of the wicked throw you off course thinking that he is not here and not near. What drives that thought process is, is comfort. When my GPS is set on comfort, I go, wait a minute. I'm not comfortable. Is he here? Is he near? Because if, because I'm uncomfortable. If God exists, I will be comfortable. I mean, that's really what our culture says. Because I'm not comfortable, I don't think God. If you look at it, you're like, are you four years old? Right? That's the thinking, isn't it? I mean, we, because I do it too sometimes, okay? But, but that's the thing. So, back to our key questions here. What do you think about when you think about God? What does our culture think about when a culture thinks about God, and how has that influenced our thinking about God? So, um, 
we are going to transition now, but um, a friend of mine, Wesley, Wesley, come on, come on up here. I'll get some chairs. We're going to do a little Q&A. Dr. Farewell has got his doctorate in what? Ministry. All right, doctorate in ministry. We'll um, just rearrange the furniture here. So here's a slide about uh, Wesley and Kara. He's with Ratio Christi. And um, so that's a ministry that specializes in apologetics to college-age students. Apologetics, if you don't know, is like thinking about the proof, the reasons for God, even, even how do you think about suffering and how do you think about evil and God's existence, like the top three argue, whatever, all that kind of stuff. So here's, here's a, little, a little blurb. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I got it from, I got it from the site. Okay. Wesley's journey to the mission field was prompted while he was a music teacher in Falls City, Nebraska. His Christian beliefs were challenged by some door-to-door proselytizers. While conversing, he was confronted with his own inadequacies for defending the gospel message and faith. And up to that point, I think we can all agree. That's like, oh yeah, I've been there. Like, I don't know what to say. Then it gets different. This frustration drove me to study, eventually getting my master's degree in theological studies for Midwestern Baptist Theology, Theological Seminary and a doctorate ministry for Manor University. How many people like, I can't answer you, so I'm going to go to school for like ever. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was good. So we'll, we'll transition away from that. But um, um, so I appreciate Wesley and his, his passion for evangelism. He taught a while ago in that room over there uh, some evangelistic um, approaches. His whole specialty is with uh, the Mormons. And so uh, it was a great, we'll probably have him do more stuff in, in, the, in, in the future. But a couple questions here. Um, when I was looking at this passage about atheism, I thought, well, Wesley would know some stuff. And so I'm like, well, what, what does the average college person, young person think in our culture? Like, wh- where are they? So I said, hey, how do young people think? Where are they? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's ridiculously broad, as you can imagine, because <laughs> young people are different. So are you. Um, but in terms of non-belief and atheism, they're all kind of driven by peace that's kind of the, the face of it all. Okay, everybody, peace, let's be peaceful. But then two seconds later, it's this version of justice that I have. Because <clears throat> they want to hold on to a, a, a fight. They want to hold on to something strong and have a stake in the ground. Because if you're all about peace, you have to back off of everything. And they can't do that. So it's peace, and then it's, and then it's social justice, this version of social justice that they have. And if you're not along with it, then they're very mad at you. But as far as, uh, so that's what drives them. Okay. Uh, as far would, as, the, would that explain some of the woke kind of stuff? Yep, that's, okay. that's what that is. Okay. If, you, if you've heard that, mm-hmm. um, hopefully. But as far as atheism and, and, and their interactions, what they think about God is <clears throat> usually it's, it's there is no God. Um, but if you press them on it, then they back off one step to agnosticism. This I don't think that you can know that God exists if there is any, if there is a, if there is even one, good one. And so it's it's backed off, or it's there's no God, but I don't know how to defend it. So I'll just say you don't know, and neither do I, because we don't have reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's they're all they're all basically atheists running because if there was a God, then he would keep them accountable for their actions. Right. Presumably. Presumably. Yeah. In the timeline that they expect. Yeah. In the way that they expect. 
So it's interesting, isn't it, that the long-suffering of God is, is a great thing when we're the guilty one in the chair, but when someone else says, hey, go get them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I mentioned earlier in, in my little sermon here about our view of God. Is it 100% accurate in, in our cultural stuff? So what, um, what, what shapes our image of God in this culture in terms of its accuracy or inaccuracy? Uh, Christians or the cultures? Well, let's do both. I mean, but Christians, it should be God's word, mm-hmm. but the culture probably creeps in. Well, the culture's view of God is how they see, how they see Christians acting, whether for good or for bad. Mm. They see us acting the way that we do out in the culture, and they say, uh, you've probably heard this, well, that's not very Christian of you. And they, they uh, associate just moral perfection with, if you believe in God, you have to be morally perfect. Um, but that's, that's kind of how they get their view from God is, is us, because we're the ones out there being the light, and sometimes we're not so shiny. Um, As far as our view of God, we could also be wrong. So um, I like like what you said about 100% accurate. Um, Probably not, because that would be a very hard claim to substantiate. (laughs) I am 100% correct about who I believe God to be. I'd say no, probably not. Um, So the question is, is is that a dangerous place to be? Because when you think about God, you may think about the Sistine Chapel and God having body parts. He doesn't. He's a spirit. So that's, that's just a, vi- a, a thing that we go to right away. And it's not, that's not necessarily too bad. I mean, it's, it's not a dangerous thing because you understand that God do- uh, doesn't have a foot. But it talks about his body parts right. and his Arm you know, and more thick language, these types of things. Um, but it doesn't mean that God is a physical being. He's not. So... But is that that bad? Probably not. Um, but if, but if you start thinking, well, God is 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 a God who just forgives everybody, no matter what, forever, always. That's not how He's revealed Himself. Or God, um, God will not punish justice, or punish wrongdoing. That's also not how He's revealed Himself. And so we need to be, if if we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we need to be li- we need to be open to hearing how he has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself in the Bible. But how do we know that? And so these types of questions keep stacking on top of each other, which is how I got all these degrees. <laughs> so that, that's a challenge. Did you hear in that little explanation, there's a chance that I need to change something I think about God or his word. Isn't that weird? Because we, you know, we, we typically approach, well, you know, I go to the internet, I've got this site, you know, bullet points, I'm done, that's my theology. But we all probably hold some views that are maybe more shaped by our culture or our upbringing or the pain of our past because something happened. Boom. That's not true. God is not like this. He could, you know what I mean? And not to dismiss the pain, but that's, I think, how there's a lot of ways we can get there. So I, I want to be open to what the text says and where it takes me. All right. And, um, and I'll be the first to agree. It's kind of scary as a pastor. It's like, I, I'm pretty sure about what I'm preaching, right? Especially the basic stuff. Absolutely sure about the gospel. Mm-hmm. But there's other stuff that's like, yeah, you know, here we go. You know, there's no consensus on this and this. And, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three. Anyway, I just invite you to, um, it's not that we don't know. It's not that we can't know. But, but let's just avoid a, a judgmental dogmatism. You know what I mean? About, you know, don't think this. That's wrong. I'm right. Anyway, I don't know if that was helpful or not, but what, um, 
what do you do if, if you realize or you, you think that my view of God, our view of God might not be quite accurate? Where does that put us? Well, yeah, it does. It, it touches on what you just mentioned about being humble to be in the student position, one, and, and listen to what you could be wrong about, because you probably are. Uh, there are some things that you can hold tightly. There are some things that you can hold a little more loosely. Um, but it's being humble enough to say, yeah, I'm probably not 100% right about what I believe. Um, you can be passionate about what you believe, so, but you, you shouldn't be ridiculously dogmatic about, okay, God revealed himself. He said that he's a door, so he, ha he must have hinges and a doorknob and a lock, he's got a lock. So these, these types of extrapolations, Jesus said that he's the door, right? But that's, you need to read the Bible and how it's meant to, be, meant to be said. That's the key right there, right? Because I don't want to be heard like, oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff we just don't know. That's not what we're saying. We know who Jesus is, we know who God is, but the thing is our culture through movies, music, all kinds of stuff is pounding at us 24 seven. And, and we get these ideas in our head. If God was real, if he existed, then this bad thing wouldn't have happened. And it, if, as I read scripture, you know, it, if you love Jesus and Jesus loves you, bad things will happen to you. I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't hear that from the culture. So that's, you get the, the spirit of that. So we're not saying that you can't know who God is, but there's a lot of subtle ways that our culture comes in and undermines solid biblical teaching. And we want to own that, look at that, and, and be able to, to think critically about that. And, and not just, because there, there are some really, really hard questions and some mm -hmm. people that, and suffering is a gigantic, heavy weight when someone levies that against you and says, well, God doesn't exist because my grandma died and I prayed and, and I love my grandma and she was the best person ever and she died in this horrific way, so I can't believe in God. And so instead of coming at that person with some, some arguments like I would want to, be like, okay, well, the problem of suffering is this and this and this. Well, that person needs a hug. That person needs some relation, relationship, right? You can't just hit them over the head mm -hmm. with some facts. Um, I love facts, but that person is crying out, I am hurt and I'm, I'm mad at God really for this thing. But does that therefore mean that God does not exist because somebody, something bad happened? That is not a correct line to draw. But it is a, it is a difficult thing to argue against. So after you've given them a hug and calmed down and sat with them for a while, um, and, they, and they do want to talk about this intellectually, um, don't, don't, I'm warning you, don't punt to God's a mystery too fast. Because yes, we don't know 100% about him. We can't, we can't, we're finite beings and he's an infinite being, so logically that's impossible to know everything about God. Um, but don't, don't punt to, well, it's just nobody knows. So let's all sit and mystery of who nobody knows because we can know things about God. He's revealed himself in history. He, he's revealed himself through the prophets and confirmed the message through miracles. If you look at, at some of the old prophets where they did some miracles, that was, it was like this test, especially Elijah and the, and the fire coming down. That was super fun. What a fun story. But it's, look, this is the real one. I have spoken through this one. And Hebrews talks about He's spoken through his prophets, but now he's spoken through Jesus. And so we can know things about God. He has revealed himself. The question is, how has God spoken and what has he said? And what does that show us about his character? Mm -hmm. It'd be kind of fun to have a book 
how is he revealed and, and how does my culture not welcome that? You know what I mean? Like to just look at the contradictions or the gaps because we live in those gaps. Like, like I'm uncomfortable because he's been revealed as this, but my experience is this. And, and we, don't, we often don't know how to, how to live with that tension or that gap. Um, so Wes gave me um, 15 core pillars of secular progressivism, kind of the sheet that just sort of defines our culture. And I read those and I'm just, I mean, it was scary. <laughs> you read them and you're like, yeah, that's true, but it's frightening. I'm just going to read a couple of them here. One was, um, bold religious claims are rationally suspect and dangerous. They should be discouraged or made harmless to the regime by being translated into psychological categories. So yeah, bold religious claims, they're dangerous. Just, just, it's just people psychobabble. That's what the culture wants to do. So anytime you make a bold religious claim, you're going to be met with some pushback. Ooh, that's dangerous. Especially the concept that there's truth that applies to everybody. Mm. What about that? Like universal truth and... Yeah, when, when, when truth... They, they want to hold on to that truth is relative. And... If you've, had, if you've had any of those dealings, if you've thought about truth, you can't escape the objective or absoluteness of truth. Truth is true no matter what anyone says, no matter what we believe, but they want to they wanna hold on to my truth, your truth, especially in regards to religion. Their, their, their sincerely held beliefs means it's true for them, if you've heard some of these things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's not true. Because truth is, there's only one truth. There can be true things in, in other religions, like they, they can say one plus one is two, and that's correct. But when they talk about who God is, they're making objective truth claims. Um, and they, they want, but they want to hold on to this, I have my truth, you can have that. So there's, there's levels of pushback when we talk about who God is. But if we keep pushing and saying, no, God is this way, he's revealed himself like this, this is who Jesus is, this is how he can be reconciled to him, and they, they, they kind of punt back to all, all truth, it's all, it's all someone else's truth. And the secret, let me give you a, a, the secret to, to fixing it all, ready? You, you flip that, whatever statement they made, you see if it meets its own criteria. Ooh, that was, that was a lot, I'll say that again. Whatever statement they made, like truth is relative, or all truth is relative, you flip it on itself and see if it meets its own standard. So when they say all truth is relative, ask them if that is a relative truth. <laughs> or um, tr there, is, there is no truth, that's an easy one. There is no truth. Except for that Except truth. Except for that truth. That truth is the only <laughs> truth that's all encompassing. So that's the trick. If you can start thinking in ways of that when you start interacting with these people and do, do that move of apply the claim to itself to see if it meets its own standard, you can start asking questions and because they're incorrect about that. <clears throat> they say, uh, truth doesn't exist. Does that truth exist? Are you sure about that? I'm absolutely certain that there, that there is no certainty. Are you, sure, are you certain about the no certainty part? Because if you're certain, there's no certainty. There's, so start, start thinking in that way, and you, can, and you can get there. Did I go off on a tangent here? I don't know. John? That's fine. It's all good. So um, when I was teaching at Grace, we were talking about absolute truth and, um, and how in our culture, 
people are largely under the view that, that our culture determines what's right and wrong. So one of my students was at Metro taking a course, some kind of sociology course, raised his hand, wanted to push back, but was wise enough to ask questions. And he said, so, so you're saying that if our culture decides that molesting babies is permitted, then not only is it permitted, it becomes like the, the virtuous thing to do. This is who we are as a culture. And the teacher is like, oh, wow, well, you know, no, um, you know, maybe, maybe not. And so then, then the, the student turns around, sees a lot of middle-aged women in the class, and says, how many of you in this class think that some things are just right or wrong all by themselves? Didn't use, you know, absolute truth, because that's like a trigger, but some things are true all by, almost everybody raises their hand. And the teacher's like, well, I guess maybe there are some things like, hello. Anyway, so sometimes you, you mentioned the, 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 the phrase, asking questions can be a powerful thing. You don't have to have PowerPoint and a full sermon. You can just ask some key questions. How, how does this work? And anyway, go ahead with other, other things. So <clears throat> the, this, this uh, thing that John mentioned about, what was it called? Secular progressivism, that, mm. that sheet, this is the sheet I gave him, by the way. Mm -hmm. Secular progressivism or humanism is, is kind of the religion of the day, the, the default religion of the culture. And it's a, there's a lot of big words there, but <clears throat> basically it's, it's we need to push forward, we need to move forward, and if you're going the other way or you're trying to stop me, you're in the way and you're old and antiquated and, and you need to, because we need to go forward. Um, and you're the enemy, you're, you're stopping us progressing. That's the, that's the religion of the day. That's the default. That's what they're doing. They may not know it, but that's what they're being fed, uh, the, the, the culture. And so we may have grabbed some of these things as well unknowingly. So that's why we need to be aware, and that's why us as Christians are countercultural in that sense, where we stand up and just say, no, we have these morals, and we, we get them from our commitment to God and we come together and encourage one another at church, at, at, our, at our place of gathering, and then we go out and we be the light, and we are different. And if you're not different, maybe you need to think about that. Um, maybe, you need, maybe you're into the culture a bit too much. Um, so the, this, is, this is kind of the thing that they're pushing towards. And <clears throat> he just read one of the pillars, and they're all bad. <laughs> so they're, they're, all not, they're all not something that we, we should, you know, tend towards. Um, they have good things like passion, but passion by itself misdirected is, is, is not the best. So one thing we can do, because it's easy when, when you start talking about evangelism apologetics, you're like, I don't know all the answers. And we can just like shut up. What you are an expert in is the power of God in your life. The grace, the peace, the past answers to prayer that has no argument against it. So I would encourage you to, to think about and meditate on the goodness of God in your life and maybe even just start there. It's just like, hey, you know, someone's like, there's no absolute truth. Well, you know, okay, uh, maybe, maybe not. But man, I have experienced God in ways that are undeniable and powerful. He, you know what I mean? And you just go on on your little, your, your impactful testimony. Well, what is, where do they go with that? I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a perfect, because you are the expert at how God has intersected your life. And testimonies are very powerful. Stories are very powerful. Jesus used stories all the time uh, in parables and, and, those, and those stories. So, yes, that is, that is very important. And 
something to notice why that's, why that's such a cool move is you're speaking the truth about who God is through how, you, how he has interacted with you. And that's not how they view God. Mm-hmm. They don't view God the way that you have said. He set me free from these things. He has, he is, I was, do, I was walking down this way and he, he, he came and interrupted that and, sh- and showed me that there's a better way to do it this way. And so now I'm, I'm more, I'm free from my sin and all these things that you, that you say. I'm not sure your testimony, but it sounds, mm-hmm. there's similar beats mm-hmm. in it usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't view God that way. They view God as, as kind of far off that if he interacts with people, he should, he should do, he should uh, liberate the oppressed. He should um, fix a problem that I'm having and then go away. Um, it's, it's very, this functional thing. Um, or, or they view him as kind of a, kind of like the, the gods of old, where he's a trickster and he mm-hmm. comes and he does some things and, and runs off and then is in, at war with another god and all these things and there's, there's levels. So it's all very confusing, but your testimony explaining how God has interacted with you is explaining the truth about who God is. And so there are snippets of God's nature and God's character in there that, that you're get, getting across without having to go down, without having to use the theological words, right? So yes, use your testimony because you're changing their view of, of who God is. Because then they at least know one Christian and that view of who God is from them. But don't be surprised when right after you do that, their next move is gonna be, well, that's your truth. <laughs> that's where it's gonna go. So be, be ready for that because, well, that's your story. And so, you know, um, the, 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 the fact that there is truth that applies to everybody is, is a big step for, for a lot of people. Um, anyway, so the functional atheist, somebody who, you know, gods are out there probably somewhere, but he's not here, he's not near, he doesn't see, he doesn't care, I'm free to do whatever I want. Whether you're intentionally diving into immorality like that guy in the quote, or you're just sort of like, you know, just going to drift along and just sort of be ambivalent and do my thing. Um, both of those would be being influenced by the way our culture views God, and, and it's a powerful river. And so we want to make sure we're astute to the observations. And the key is to go to Scripture. That's where we understand who God is. That's, that's how he's revealed himself. So we want to make sure we know Scripture, right? That's right. And Closing comments, then we'll pray? Sure, sure. Okay. I can do closing comments. So what do we do? Well, uh, we, not to sound uh, snotty, we're right. <laughs> we, we have our convictions that the Bible is God's word, and we have been changed, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we are lights in the world. And so you don't have to be ashamed or afraid to live confidently and live boldly and live loudly. I know it's kind of scary to do all those things because then you have to actually speak to people. But... If you, can, if you can go out and just unashamedly be your, your self that God has changed, mm-hmm. be, be, be confident that God has, has interacted with your life and has set you free from sin because of what Jesus did, and you just lean on that with people, mm-hmm. that's, that'll make people upset because, because of Jesus, not because you're being a jerk. So make sure that that's it, right? <laughs> make sure they're tripping over Jesus, the cornerstone, rather than you being angry and hitting them, right? So don't be afraid to be 
confident and bold in your in your speaking to people about why you love Jesus, why why he why you're a Christian. That's a good question for yourself. Why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian because it's culturally you kind of grew that up that way? Good, but that doesn't make it true. I would argue that you're a Christian because hopefully, and maybe just chew on this because it's true. I'm a Christian because it's true. That's that's where the evidence leads, and I'm gonna follow truth no matter where it leads. Hopefully, I'm hopefully I'm humble enough to do that. So don't be afraid to to speak freely about God's existence. Um, answer those door-to-door proselytizers, whoever they are, and talk with them about who they are, who what they believe, and share with them why you have trusted the Bible, hmm. trust in Jesus for your salvation, and not by works. Um, and so, and and share your story. So that's that's the the message is that you you are you're countercultural because the culture wants to push this way. They have a lot going for them. Sin, that's a big one. Um, and, they, and they can kind of take you along with them. That river that he's talking about, it's powerful. And people, people don't want to own up to their sin because they can either, they can either um, repent and find forgiveness in Jesus or they can lean into the, to their sin and lean into that culture that's accepting and, and be swept down. And it's, and it's hard to get out of that that river, that current. So that's what I would encourage. Good. Good stuff. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. You want to wrap up in prayer? Close this prayer? Thanks. Yeah. Lord, we come before you and just thank you for who you are and what you've done and how you have revealed yourself. Thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus and that we can have confidence that that, that is an event that happened in history. That's not... That's not something that we hope is true and then it magically is. Uh, but we, we have confidence that, that you are who you said you are and you will do what you said you will do. That is, that is where we put our trust is, is in Jesus alone and on what he has said that he will do. So God, thank you for freeing us. Thank you that we can boldly stand, not in our own abilities or or eloquence but in just what jesus has done and our confidence in him so god help us to remember that as we go help us to draw near to god as he draw near draws near to us and let that change us let that embolden us to speak to our neighbors to speak to to the people in our lives that we're thinking of right now to be more bold in that, in that interaction, and to share share what we have, how we've been changed. So thank you, God, for all of those things. I pray that that everybody here and those listening can take this in and 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 take measurable steps to shine your light, so that others can see our good works and give glory to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.